You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Welcome to episode 21 of Is There an Echo in Here podcast. Do you want to do your normal, uh, oh yeah, what was thing. interrupting thing? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is a podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen, the band, not the airline, not, <laughs> not the pool cleaning service. No, yeah. no, not them. Yeah. The band. So, this is a podcast where I come into my husband Shane's studio and I say, Hey, time to stop what you're doing and let's record a podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Let's do it. And so, what I like to know at the beginning of each episode was, what was I interrupting tonight? Nothing. You know what? Today is the... I finished working tonight. Uh, My day job is... uh, teaching guitar to lots of different young people yeah mainly and uh i taught my last lesson at finished at eight o'clock and then i just went to the gym and like sat in the sauna for two hours and yeah. so I'm, nothing's being interrupted <laughs> the only thing being interrupted right now is my sleep that's what's happening we're a little yeah. tired but we have a really exciting episode for you we're really happy uh to record this intro to it and uh, it is another guest interview. This is a, a thing that I guess we do now where we bring people in. And mm-hmm. we're, it's really wonderful. The uh, like just amazing guests that we've had on this show so far have been oh my God. so wonderful. We've had Shannon O'Neill and we had Allison Renner. Allison Renner. And both of those episodes were just really cool and uh, informative and... Um, and so today we bring you a very special guest named Dolphus Remsior. And he got in touch with us um, s- several months ago and yeah. said, Hi, I'm Dolphus Remsior and I'm in the music business and Echo and the Bunnymen is my favorite band favorite of all band. time. I love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Yep. Favorite band of all time. Turns out he lives in North Carolina, right? Yep, that is correct. And uh, Born and raised. Concord. He is in Concord, North Carolina, which is just outside of Charlotte. And uh, we are in North Carolina, as you may know, uh, loyal listeners. Um, So we're about two and a half hours from this guy. Um, And yeah, so it's interesting, right? I was like, okay, that's cool. Well, I'm kind of in the music business too, uh, in a way, <laughs> as a performer, you know, and recording artist. And, uh, and I thought that was interesting. So I checked them out, you know. You Googled him. I Googled him. I checked out his record label. And uh, it turns out that he's a real deal guy in the music business and in North Carolina. It's pretty incredible what he's done. Um, I think probably certainly most famous for managing the Avit brothers little band called the Avit little brothers little band called the Avit brothers uh, i remember i 
to international superstardom, basically. Yeah. Uh, Out of North Carolina. Yes. International superstardom. Yeah. Now, I live under a rock, but I remember the first time I heard about them, our friends, your sister's friends, who quickly became our friends, named their kid Avid. That's right. I was like, that's a cool name. Your son's named Avid. And they're like, yeah, like the band. And I was like, the band. Yep, it's their favorite band. Everyone fans. knows this band. They're like, they make trips you know from band? South Florida to go see them play. They've gone like on New Year's to see them play in like Durham or something. Yeah, like that's like their their all time favorite band. Yeah, they named their son Avit. I told so them that we were doing this. They found out we were doing this interview, and it was kind of a, it was a big deal. I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, so and cool. I know who they are now. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's like <laughs> I yeah I was I was familiar important. with them, you know. Okay. Uh, prior to, to this interaction um, from the, you know, the radio, like, totally. you know what I mean? Like to me, it was like pop music, you know, in this way. But, because it was so prevalent. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was like, they're pretty like mainstream, but, but at the same time, as he will explain, and they're, they're actually, you know, they're, as far as pop music goes, they're coming out of left field with the way they, they do their arrangements and just the way that they, uh, you know, when you think about what pop music is, they are actually, you know, not the norm, you know. Not unlike a little band called Echo and the Bunnymen, perhaps. That's right. Well, a little bit more about uh, Dolphus. Um, so he runs a company, record label called Ramsier Records, and it's also a management company. And uh, some of the other artists that he has are the the National Reserve, the Steep Canyon Rangers, who they're from around here. That's the big bluegrass band that plays with Steve Martin. Yeah. FYI, if you didn't know. But he, he used to work with them and produced a record with them. Right. And, uh, That's and uh, he has a band called the Ruin Brothers, who um, Rick Rubin produced their record. A little guy named Rick Rubin. So for all you Beastie Boys fans out there uh, and Slayer fans and uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so, you know, uh, no big deal. And uh, yeah, and they have a new album coming out in 2020. He also works with uh, an artist named Samantha Crane. Uh, she has a record coming in 2020. He's got a busy year. Yeah. It's 2020 coming up here. And uh, another group called Bombadil and they're from Durham. And uh, David Childers, who's from Mount Holly, North Carolina. So, so this is the deal with Dolphus Ramsir, okay? Dolphus Ramsir is, um, and we're gonna find out more about him. And how to say his name properly? No, it's, I think this is right. He said I did good. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. Ramsir, Ramsir. <laughs> well, anyway, and he's a southern man, and Courtney's a southern woman, so <laughs> you'll just notice that the. We're, we're gonna. It's gonna be a very, it's a very southern a episode. Bit. Is all I'm saying. We're gonna have a good conversation here, but Dolphus is, um, you know, big time producer kind of. But he had, but he has a very small town feel, and he's very friendly and down to earth. And but 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 you know, he's he's legit like in the industry in this in this way, and he understands the mechanisms of it. So we're gonna get to talk about some of that with him about as it relates to Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah, you can't but, judge somebody by their accent. But yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> and I think we talk about that, but and he's also just seems later. like you know just a really an honest straight yeah, shooter, but definitely. also he's kind of goth. Okay, but here's the thing about him. This is the anomaly, right? Is that He's 
I think we asked him this. I don't remember. But he's, he is a producer of Americana music, which you, would, you know, what we would classify as like folk and Americana music. He talks about how just, you know, singing and playing a guitar just loves. And they, so, so this music that he's putting out there um, for the world to hear yeah. and uh, really supporting in a very um, loving way. And yet, Echo and the Bunnymen is his favorite band of all time. Yeah. To the extreme. Like, he is a super Echo and the Bunnymen fan. I mean... They inform everything that he does. And it's funny because talk, he talks about it. Like, he, he goes around. He'll be on all the TV shows and with his bands. You know, his father, David Brothers. We're going to talk to, like, Rick Rubin about Echo and the Bunnymen. Or, like, when they try to audition a drummer, he's, like, trying to get the drummer to sound like... Um, trying to get him to listen to um, Pete... Pete DeFritis, trying to get him to listen to Pete DeFritis. He's, uh, but so it's just, I found this really striking. Like when when we were going into this, I was like really blown away that I was like, you're like a producer of like kind of folk Americana, not to like pigeonhole anything because I know that the music is vast and it's a deep well. Yeah. And we're all like kind of drawing from, uh, you know, just like the, the infinite or whatever. But, but it's just interesting to me that like at that, it's so cool. Like that we've crossed paths with this guy right. who's because of this podcast and because of a love for Echo and the Bunny Man. And they're just, it's just like, it's pretty magical. It's and magical. It's really strange. And it's really strange <laughs> because, you know, Echo and the Bunny Man is such an ethereal, otherworldly band in right. a sense. But it makes you want to explore the connection between Americana and the Bunny Man. Right. Are they British Americana? We don't know. This is the goes back to the oh, question the that yeah. we tried to answer about, you know. About their folkloric kind of underpinnings. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and that's what Dolphus says later in the interview. We, we can let, let him speak for himself. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just uh-huh. someone singing and playing a guitar, you know, playing a guitar and singing. I love someone singing and playing a guitar. And then you can put all this like sound and all this production and all this kind of like ethereal ear candy and magic into it but at the end of the day what it comes down to it's like someone's playing a guitar and singing a song and that's uh, you know i don't i don't want to spoil the whole episode here but this but you do need to get a pen and paper out because this is a person who not only has a lot of wisdom but also just i mean is just a wellspring of like names and people that you want to look up and listen to yeah Know really interesting cat really uh mm-hmm. so grateful so to for- be friends with him yep and and just uh and, and that he, he yeah. took time out of his busy schedule to get on this podcast and talk about yeah this little band called echo and the bunny man didn't he send us some photos of like some rare records yes. and stuff? you still have those yep and we'll be putting well, those out on the instagram he for said people to could. see mm-hmm. yeah like he's got some rarities because this man was Hunting. hunting their music in the 80s yeah. uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan when he was in college. And you'll find out about that. He'll tell you about it. Yeah. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy this interview with Dolphus Ramsier of Ramsier Records. Um, really just kind of like kind of spinning a tale, you know, like it's yeah. like a litany of his love for Echo and the Bunnymen is the way yeah. I kind of see it. It's just, he just... You could tell he relishes the opportunity to talk about them at yes. length and reminisce about his experiences of listening to them, seeing them live, meeting them, and um, yeah, it's just a, it's a real passion. And that's all I want to hear about. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. The
Okay, so we're here at Echo in Here podcast. We have a special guest today, Dolphus Ramsier. Yes. How did, how'd I do? Is that right? That's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Not bad. Ramsier. That's uh, so you did. I'm, I'm proud of you. I, have, I still have some uh, some of my wife's family members that still uh, do a little bit worse than uh, what you just did. Nice. Okay, good. Ramsier, uh, who's a music manager and label owner and record producer from from here in North Carolina and uh, started uh, Ramsier Records in 2000. Yes. And do you have some, some acts uh, that have hit the 200 billboard and played all the big stages around the world and all the all the mm-hmm. all the TV shows nationally and internationally and um... yeah so we we manage bands and we release records and um, yeah what we're I tell people all the time we're really not even in the music business I'm in the Avett brothers business I, we manage the Avett brothers um, we're in the David Childers business we're in the Ruin brothers business we're kind of on the outside we're here in North Carolina and um you know we have stayed out of the music city in new york and la and we do go to those places but we just i don't know north carolina's home yes okay and as a fellow southerner um i kind of wanted to if you wouldn't mind painting a picture of your life growing up and um just kind of your journey into this this field yeah. uh, yes and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. First, I'm going to turn this ice machine off because right when we started, it kicked on. And it's driving me. Hang on one second. Okay, that'll take a little less hum out of the uh, equation. Um, I grew up, I was born in Concord, North Carolina, which is in Cabarrus County in North Carolina. And I, I grew up about 10 miles from Davison College. Uh-huh which Davison is kind of like an Ivy League school in the South. It's a small liberal arts college. Um, and the reason that I bring that to y'all's attention is I grew up in the country on a dirt road, you know, no, no cable vision. Um, no, of course, this is long before the Internet. I'm 50 years old. Um, but Davison had a great station. Uh, in, at the night, in the nighttime hours that the students uh, ran, it was called Flip Sides on WDAV, and it would come on like at 11 o'clock at night and go to like 2 in the morning. And in the early 80s, um, you know, when you can only get four stations, uh, TV stations, radio was a big deal um, growing up. To not only me, but all the kids I grew up with, we just listened a lot to the radio. Um, and WDAV, the students would play essentially what what is now referred to as alternative music. At the time, I think it was more, you know, college college rock. I mean, co- you know, when you think back yep. to college um, radio, they really helped break bands like REM. Uh, it really gave bands like the Bunnymen and U2 and um, New Order and The Cure and all of the bands from England, the post-punk bands from England, they really gave them a big foothold in the United States, which coincided with like MTV playing 
you know, when MTV first started, which I did not have, and I was so jealous and envious of all the kids <laughs> that would say, oh, we, you got to see that new video. Well, I'd go to my grandmother's who had had cable, but she had a black and white TV, so I didn't really get the full effect of it. Um, but, um, yeah, um, you know, so that station, WDAV, those three hours at night, um, my youth was spent taping a lot of those shows, listening to those shows. Um, you know, in the early 80s, Davison was really key in the state of North Carolina as far as um, bringing, I mean, really pushing REM over the top in the Carolinas. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, um, and that's where I first heard the Bunny Man in my, now we're going back, 37 years or so, but it probably was 83 with either the back of love or the cutter that they would uh -huh. come in off of Porcupine. So in the scheme of the bunny men, I'm a little late. Uh, I maybe was a late bloomer. I had seen the name. I had not heard crocodiles or heaven up here. I, I um, you know, so um, I worked backwards on those records from Porcupine. Okay, that was your entry point. Yes. Okay. Now, can you tell us about the moment when you discovered them? Do you remember or how that came about, just kind of getting their first album, et cetera? Yeah, I remember. Um, it's funny because when, you, when I would hear certain things on the radio, um, like I remember WDAV playing... Billy Bragg in like 83, he had this Life is a Riot uh, EP kind of thing, and they were playing uh, a New England, which was, I think, from that. Um, I just remember, like, I sat straight up in the bed when I heard that because it was unlike anything I really had ever heard. Uh, the same kind of thing, I, and again, I can't remember if it was the Back of Love or the Cutter that they were playing. Um, I went out and I bought the cassette to that. Um, the full, like the single, or you bought the full no, the cassette, cassette of Porcupine? The, the, I, I bought, I bought the cassette of that release. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know like, again, they would play, um, I don't think DAV, well, you know, I'm pretty sure they would get singles from, um, you know, the whole business has kind of kind of changed because at the time, bands like the Bunny Men they were seen as more of an import kind of band, meaning record shops and you could find some of their stuff, but like for singles, you know. You would have to, I would later on find a couple um, companies. One was called Burning Airlines and one was called um, Music Machine, which was out of Maryland. And I got to know this guy at Music Machine. This is when I'm like 15, 16 years old. And he would import the records for me, like the singles. So I got I got like the all night version of the Killing Moon and and uh, like like Silver, 
Um, mm. I guess this is called like the tidal wave, uh, the long version of silver. Um, from I those, know. I would order those 12 inch singles because stores here would not stock those, that's those uh, releases. Now you could find the, the regular albums, but not the singles. Um, but I'm sure that getting back to WDAV was probably sent from somewhat, somebody here in the United States that was working college radio for, and I guess it was Warner Brothers through uh, Sire. Somebody was, I'm sure, sending them singles uh, or the full record. I, I'm not positive. Um, but um, I, I don't mean to go on a tangent here, but that's just... Um, you know, they would they would play. So a station like Flipsides again, it's it's seven nights a week, and they're maybe playing the Bunny Man four or five times during that span. But typically, it's sort of the song that's in rotation at the time. Um, it's really interesting, though, sort of the back channels of how underground music gets distributed. I think. Oh, it was difficult. It was or how it got distributed. And this is the yeah. second time we've heard about Burning Airlines, which I'd never heard of, but Shannon O'Neill that we interviewed, you know, she would go to Atlanta. I think she's from Chattahoochee. She was, grew up in Chattahoochee. Is that right? Chattanooga. Chattanooga, yes. Tennessee. Yeah, Yeah, and she, she used Burning Airlines to acquire things. Yeah, because it was difficult to find stuff. And, um, you know, you could not... I mean, some... Now, as I got older... Yeah. Um, when I was 15 or so, I started going in Charlotte with some friends and, um, or I, I would even have my mother take me to, to certain record stores where you could buy the enemy melody maker sounds, uh, magazines, and they, they might be a couple weeks old, huh. um, but you could, and I would buy some of those. Um, I remember standing at the record store learning of the Buddy Men taking like a year off from either NME or Melody Maker. Huh. Oh, yeah. And and so that must have been in 85, I guess. Yep. Uh, so, um, but I would try to buy as many of those magazines to keep track of what I was hearing on WDAV because, again, I didn't have MTV and, and MTV was not playing a lot of a lot of the stuff that DAV was playing anyway, but you got to remember that there's even to this day, there's still 500 um, college radio stations around America. And yeah. so when you're thinking about someone sending records out, um, I mean, 500 stations adds up to a pretty big, it can be a pretty big lick. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think, um, finding it out through college radio, through NME sounds, Melody Maker, those were sort of my go-to. And then, the, of course, the, the kids I was hanging around, they were, a lot of them were into this kind of music. So you sort of build up a whole network of, uh, you got to hear this record, and I found this here. And uh, But trying to find, like, the, the hard-to-find stuff, I mean, it was, 
you had to do some leg work. It was not get on the internet and go to Amazon or Spotify. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it maybe made it more rewarding. And because um, I can tell you, like, I, when I, I went to college in Michigan, and so, and, and the, you'll find this kind of uh, funny and interesting. And I was about an hour and 15 minutes above uh, the city of uh, Grand Rapids. I was in a town called Big Rapids. Well, Grand Rapids had one of the greatest record stores I've, I mean, I've ever went to. I mean, it was fantastic. I believe the name was called Vinyl Solution. And if you can imagine a CVS um, drugstore in America, the size of it, just take that and then you give half of a CVS in the basement area that was the size of this record store and when I first got there in 1987 um, vinyl was on the top floor and CDs were in the basement on the half they kind of had half the size of the vinyl uh-huh. and by the time I graduated in 91 it had done a big flip-flop where the top was now CDs, and in the mm-hmm. bottom was not even new vinyl; it was all used vinyl because people labels and people were just not even making CDs. Took over so big that people started scrapping even making vinyl. Yeah, so, you know it was. Um, but I got a lot of. I found um, like I found the fuel. I'm trying to think uh, what's on. I can't remember if that's me. If, if back of love on the back of it's maybe the subject and fuel. Uh-huh. I finally found that 12 inch there. I found one. Um, I found a seven inch, um, and um, it's it's not um, Ann Arbor, but there's a, a there's a I can't really think of the name of the place, but. There was a cool record store, and I found a, a Bunnyman 7-inch from, um, it might have been like the Cutter, I think it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I remember finding some of these in remote, odd kind of places. Was that like striking gold? Was oh, that- man, it was like Christmas. I mean. <laughs> but this is your favorite day. band, right? Yeah. They're your favorite oh, band. They're my all-time favorite band. I mean, I'm just such a big Bunnyman <laughs> fan. I mean, I, I, mean, I just... Uh, I always loved the uh, the the attitude of it's the bunny men against the world kind of thing. Where, yeah. Uh, you know, and and um, but yeah, they're my favorite band. So when you found something like that, it was striking gold, and it was Christmas. To this day, I cannot. I have been to so many record stores with my left hand flip like. 12 inch, you know, albums, I can't do it anymore. I mean, I just can't do it. I, I, I mean, I spent, Lord only knows how many albums I have flipped through to try to find stuff. Um, <laughs> and I feel it's kind of sad that I can't even do it anymore. I just, my, my, I get within 30 seconds, I have to stop. I don't know what it is. It's just mentally, I can't do it. talking about the individual members like um you know will i'm a massive fan of will's um you know artistry he's 
I don't even know if I would label Will in some ways a guitarist. He's just a sound. Um, I mean, he uses the guitar to get the art out of him. Um, uh-huh. And it's it's just a way he, um, you know, uses the instrument. He Sometimes it's the notes that he doesn't play, which are the most important. Yeah. Um, right. You know, and I've, I've just always felt like he was such an emotive type player and I'm a Johnny Marr fan. My son's a Johnny Marr fan, but I'm a bigger Will fan. Um, uh-huh. Just because of, um, I mean, it's also coming out of left field in a way how he plays and it's totally unique and it's, um, yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of his playing and, um, you know, Mac was such a great front man and a great, singer um i mean i just you know i guess their stuff was very though uh it's one of those things where you kind of maybe have to get into it it's not it doesn't grab you right away but once you get into it um you're really into it um i mean it's it's deeper and darker than a lot of the well, I mean, Hell the Cures early stuff was very dark and depressive kind of. Um, but the Bunnymen is just a different kind of. I mean, they just they were doing their own thing. Did feel you know? that way. At the same time, you were still influenced by, you know, classic country and folk. Um, Yeah. Can you talk about, I guess, if there are any parallels that you see between the Bunnymen, how that, how those two. Well, you know, that's funny you mentioned that because, you know, like I'm a big fan of a guy named Charlie Poole and Charlie, Charlie died in the 1930s. Uh, but he was from Spray, North Carolina, and he led Charlie Poole and, and um, the um, North Carolina Ramblers. And they mm-hmm. were what we would classify now as an old-time, an old-time band. Um, and Charlie might have been like the first real punk rocker. Total nut. Total, mm-hmm. total crazy nut went on like a 18 day drinking binge and died of alcohol poisoning. Um, but he had big hits, um, in the United States and, um, you know, sold millions of records. Um, but the reason I bring him up is just, again, to me, and I've followed a lot of music. He, He's kind of, in my eyes, the first kind of punk rocker. And he was playing, um, he was playing stuff that's, you know, if, if typical bunny men uh, fans would hear it. It's very, I mean, it's old time mountain music. Um, uh-huh. And uh, so I, I never really looked at any of that kind of music as 
uh, I just look at all music as it's just music. And, you know, what Doc Watson was doing in North Carolina, playing in Deep Gap, North Carolina, it's the same as what, you know, uh, McCulloch and Morrissey and Robert Smith were all doing in England. They just, just playing music, really. When I was a little boy, I wanted a Barlow knife. Now won't little Shady Grove say she'll be my wife. Oh, Shady Grove, my little love. Shady Grove, I say. Shady Grove, my little love. Walked on a tidal wave. Laughed in the face of a brand new day. Food for survival for. This man said it's gruesome that someone so handsome should Pretty little shady grove as sweet as brandy wine And there ain't no girl in this old world that's prettier than mine Shady grove, my little love, shady grove, I say Shady grove, my... And I never looked at it as it's got to be us versus them or... Uh, but I feel like old-time music has always had kind of a punk rock kind of thing about it. It's never been about... Like when you hear old-time, it's not about solos like bluegrass you always have someone playing a mandolin solo or a fiddle solo or a guitar break during the song old time is the melody repeated over and over and over right and yeah and i get it's kind of very snake charming in a way where you get into this thing where it it's not about how many notes you can play. Um, so they don't care about what they look like, any of this. They're doing their own thing with old time music. So I've always felt it's kind of it's it's kind of got a punk rock kind of thing about it. I was a big fan of Piedmont Blues, uh, which is based here in North and South Carolina and Virginia and some parts of Georgia. Um, and Maybe like was, Elizabeth Cotton. And- yeah, Elizabeth Cotton, Etta Baker. She, she lived in Morganton, North Carolina. I recorded Etta before. And, and um, I love Piedmont Blues. And, you know, again, I think if Will was exposed to it and saw it, he would get it.
I'm sure people around the world will hear my accent and say, well, how in the world is this guy even a bunny man fan? Uh, <laughs> That's the beauty, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, at the end of the day, it's just music. If somebody's play, playing notes on a guitar and somebody's singing. Um, and typically it's they're singing about their surroundings, what's going on. And, uh, and so, um, but, so I, I just, I never really, um, I guess with my record label, a lot of my stuff is very folk based, um, leaning, but it's always had, I've always felt we've been closer to the edge of the table than to the middle of the table from a, you know, from a taking chances and from just music. I, I always love stuff that's left of center that's totally off the wall. Like when you think of the Avett brothers and they've had great success, you know, at the end of the day, Scott Avett's playing a banjo stomping on a drum and his brother's playing acoustic guitar stomping on a cymbal. pop music that's way out in left field um it's true now, that's a, yeah that's a good point yeah you know and, and um so everything i've kind of always i've always been drawn to stuff that's a lot uh that's not near the that's not safe i would rather have stuff that sort of is uh polarizing than something that where oh yeah it's okay or you know and i don't i would rather have people either love it and or hate it um so but yeah i i i loved all forms of i mean i'm a massive gospel music fan um which i know might i'm not contemporary christian because i've always felt that that that's a that's that the devil is among us a lot of that music but like old <laughs> old southern gospel singing quartet singing it's got a special thing about it that's so far in left field when you see it and hear it that I'm, I don't think it's punk rock, but it definitely is. Um, I mean, men have their hair up about six inches off their head and women. Uh, have you ever <sighs> seen Vest, Vestal Goodman? Do you know who she is? Uh, no, no. Well, it down. They were in the Happy Goodman family. And uh, I can't believe we're talking about the the Happy Goodman family on this Bunnyman podcast, <laughs> but her hair would be up about three feet high. I mean, the closer to, I guess, the higher the hair, the closer to heaven. Just lift up your head, redemption is nearing. We'll soon be with Jesus on heaven's fair shore. He's I love that form of music. I loved country music like Johnny Cash and Hank Williams. You know, I was telling somebody the other day that like if you take The Killing Moon and there's a song by Hank Williams Sr. where it's just him and the guitar called Alone and Forsaken. It kind of takes me to the same kind of place, both of those songs. Uh, they're just very emotive and very dark and mysterious and um, 
it really it's just somebody playing guitar and somebody singing it's it's all that's all it is the roses have faded there's frost at my door the birds in the morning don't sing anymore the grass in the valley is starting to die and out in the darkness the whippoorwills cry Alone and forsaken by fate and by man Oh Lord, if you hear me, please hold my hand Oh, please understand And I noticed too with the Avett brothers that there is sort of an emotive, dark ambience, you know, to these these melodies and just the production as well. And I see the parallel, I believe. Um and well, I remember that, I, I, one, yeah. one quick thing. I remember being interviewed by the L.A. Times about uh, the Avett brothers, and I and I made note that like Scott's banjo playing, he does not play like Earl Scruggs style, three finger style. He plays more like a rhythm guitar style. Um, but he also during like a lot of somber moments, he it's very will. Um, where he plays like notes very slowly and very meticulous where it's they're in a certain place but mm -hmm. and there's not too many notes to overthrow the moment um and i made note that his banjo playing was very much like will Sargent's guitar playing um nice. and, <laughs> and um you know i'm sure the person thought I was crazy but uh I feel that I mean I, I really feel that way and and uh Scott's really an artist and he's using a banjo just to get his expression out and that's what Will I, I really think that's what Will is doing I do too I mean he says he doesn't know what he's going to play before he starts but he just plays what the music needs it's almost like he's channeling something um, there's some, there's like a real lack of pretension. Like he is a yeah. vessel. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just, you know, playing. Um, well, I want to also talk about, and this is something we spoke about, um, previously, um, that you had an opportunity. You saw the Bunnymen live. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Can you tell us about that experience and... Yes. You know, what I, you observe at the show. I saw them, um, I saw them in like, I, I'm guessing it was October-ish of, I don't know if that was 87, I guess it may might have been 87. I'm sorry, I don't have the dates right. It was, I yeah. guess it was October of 87 is when I saw the Bunny Man. Um, and Pete was with them. They played the Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So, Okay. It took me about three and a half hours to get there. And um, I remember while either the day after that show, again, I was <laughs> I'm always trying to find stuff, stuff left of the dial. And I had gone to college and I I'd kind of, you know, gotten really busy with school and everything. And um, a couple of days after that Bunny Men show or the day after I heard. Um, they put out a, well, um, kind of an EP that had some of the, um, um, uh, covers that they had, they had done, I think. Yeah. Like uh -huh. Painted Black. And yeah. Yes. 
I heard it. I heard paint it black on like uh, I, it must have been a college station left of the dial near Detroit. Um, and I went out and and um, I either found that at a store. Or I had to order it from like that music machine company. But back to the Hill Auditorium um, sold out. Um, and of course, that's the first time I had seen them. Again, I guess I'm late to the game with most Bunnymen fans, especially the ones from England. So it's the first time I had seen the Bunnymen. I remember it's an old, old theater there, and the lighting person had cast this shadow kind of of, of Will where the, he was like on the side of the theater, how the lighting was. Uh, with him playing guitar, like you could see his his shadow cast upon this massive wall. It was a pretty cool effect. I don't know if they did that intentionally or it just happened. Um, yeah. But uh, seems like a band called the Leather Nun opened the show. Um, uh-huh. And I mean, yeah, they were fantastic. I mean, Pete's drumming was, um, I mean, it was something to behold. Yeah, let's linger on Pete's drumming for a second yeah, he because is we a haven't beast. he's a beast and we haven't really talked about him in yeah. you know the podcast yet. Yeah. Yeah. Forced yeah. to be reckoned with. I I would I remember thinking if he's not the best, if not one of the best drummers and he's gotta be one of the best drummers in the world, I guess is what I was thinking when I saw him. Like because I was really uh-huh. transfixed on watching him play. I mean, he was um he was a tour de force powerful drummer. can only imagine you know seeing them in 83 80 i mean all yeah i wish i could have seen them during the other years um and then after the show so i ended up buying something and after this after the show we walk around because we had parked behind the venue and there's um we see a commotion and so there we we stay there for a while and then out comes the band um, wow. and it's kind of odd now that i have bands that tour all the time um <laughs> they were um uh, somebody and it might have been the runner so typically when you have a big venue like that you have someone that, that is from the venue or the promoter that's a runner they they, if you need, if the band needs, because the band's there in a bus, and if the band needs something, they'll run and get it, or they'll take the band somewhere. Well, I think this runner was taking the band, I guess, to a hotel or somewhere, and mm. uh, they were in like a Chevy Citation. Um, it was uh, it was a small car, and this lady, um, um, I mean, I, again, she probably was twenty twenty one. Um, was all over like McCulloch trying like he could not hardly get in the car because of her where he, he ended up having Ian, you're talking about yeah. Ian yeah uh-huh. he had to totally. like, kind of like 
pushing her forcefully just so he could get in the car. And I remember, and I told you this when I talked to you on the phone previously, like Pete, uh, you know, I, that's the only time I was ever in close, close proximity to him, but he, he looked kind of in a zombie type, uh, something was odd. I just don't know if, uh, this was after his, I think, escapade to New Orleans and everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he, he was, um, he was different than the others or something was, I don't know what it was. I just could tell either he was aloof like that or he was, that was just his personality or he's a drummer, man. He's yeah. A drummer. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> true. So, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's, that's my recollection of that night. I mean, I remember being on such a high of seeing the bummy I, I was such a bunny men fan and I got to see him. I mean, it was such that's a, so cool. I mean, they were so good live though. I mean, and I remember talking later on, this is after I got in the music business with a guy named Steve, his name is Steve Martin. And he's, he's the publicist for like, um, Radiohead and a lot of big bands. Um, his publicity firm is called nasty little man. And, <laughs> and we were talking about the, about the bunny men of all things. And he, he, uh, he saw them in New York city when they did the format of Pete at the front of the stage where all four were in a row. Oh, so wow. they, I didn't, they, I don't know about that. Cool. Yeah. They toured. And I don't know how long they did that, but they, I remember reading somewhere where Will or Les or someone said that the sound was so bad with Pete there at the, like, I guess they wanted it to be where he was on the front line as w with them. Oh, interesting. And, and Steve Martin let me know how great, you know, a drummer Pete was that he just remembers seeing them and there Pete is there on the front, which is odd. You, you, you never really see a drummer uh, positioned there at the front and um, just what a great drummer he was. I mean, I really think he was one of the best drummers in the world. Sure. He's the first thing that stood out to me too. When I when I started listening in earnest, you know, more closely to them, which I'm really really late to the game, <laughs> but uh, I remember just being like, this drummer is a beast, and and he kind of just elevates the whole enterprise in no this doubt. way that that like really, I mean, they're strong, you know, you know, you know, Max an amazing singer and. Will's, you know, textural genius and, and I the, love less. And they're you know, they're all great. Yeah. You know, but 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 the but to have that level of 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 drumming, you know, like like um you know, what's his face from the police or you know oh, Stuart like Copeland. Stuart Copeland or, or or just like having that just that 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 strong of a you know, just total momentum and you know, virtuosic but not a human metronome. But at the same time like, you know, not he doesn't overdo it, but it's just constantly strong and he can kick it up. You know, yeah. he's like the ceiling is, is, is very high for, in terms of yeah. his like dynamic reach. And... Uh, I would be safe to say that Pete was probably only drumming at about 70% of his uh, ability with the band. In the band. Yeah. 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 Well, I really think he, he could have, um, you know, he probably could have played with a lot of bands that were very, um, a lot like more fusion. math. Math, yeah, exact. Where he could have really showed off his, but he did what what was called of him, and I think he made the band, he made them a better band. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, it's, it's tragic that he is not uh, still behind the skins. I mean, a really tragic thing. Um, but I was, I mean, I'm fortunate. I got to see him play. I'm, I, um, you know, I, I remember talking to, um, um, oh gosh, um, I met him at Bonnaroo, really nice fellow, uh, fearless freaks, um, from Oklahoma city. Um, there, he wrote the liner notes in the box set for the bunny man, Wayne, um, coin from, um, the, Oh, what's the band from Oklahoma? Flaming Lips. Flaming Lips. And, mm. and we talked quite a bit about uh, the Bunnymen because he's a massive Bunnymen fan. And he saw them, I think, during the Ocean Rain tour. And it might have been in Oklahoma, Tulsa, maybe, or Oklahoma. He saw them somewhere. And, you know, we, we talked about, really talked about the whole band. He's just a massive fan. Uh, he would be oh. a great guy to get on here to talk about. Because he wrote the liner notes to the the crystal uh, crystal um, it's a crystal days the box set of the bunny man yeah okay yeah. oh that'd be oh, great wow. yeah, yeah but be, but um, just... I'm just trying to think back on people that I've talked to in the music business that are you know bunnymen fans and and uh, but the whole will Mac you know are the are the parts um, are the sum of the parts greater as I, you know, I've, I've heard where some people will say that they were uh, all four of them together. If you take them all on their own, um, you know, they, they're good, but not great. You put them all together. Great. I'm not sure, but yeah, they really had some kind of thing going there. There um, is some kind of magic about the collective, and I don't think it's so much that they don't have talent or skill on their own, but there is this power that is that is created when they all come together. Yeah, you know? and the and not, not only musically, but uh, as far as like the the tale. That's what Bill Drummond talked about. You know, the four blokes. People want the the, the four blokes. There's something enigmatic and and mag magnetic about about that story. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I later saw them uh, in when they were Electrofiction. Uh, oh, you did? Okay, I was so, wondering if you had any kind of post Gray album, reu you know, the Buddy Ben reunited yeah, thoughts so or stories. I've seen, I, I, I saw them uh, four different times. One there at Hill Auditorium. I saw them in Raleigh, North Carolina when they played as electric fiction and then I saw them, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, the, the venue escapes me. It might've been the beach on ballroom, but I, I thought it was bigger than that, but I, I might be wrong. And then I saw them at radio city music hall when they played ocean rain. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I went to that show, but, but when, when they played as electric fiction, you know, they were doing, I don't know, 10 to 12 Bunnyman songs as is. And, and, oh. uh, now, I, I remember talking to Will uh, then when I saw him, and he was, they were, I don't know how we got on the subject about who was going to be like the next producer, um, and he was mentioning maybe somebody like Butch Vig um, from Garbage, and, uh, you know, I think he did some Nirvana stuff, oh. so, uh, but uh, that never materialized, because I always wondered, you know, would that really happen? And, and it never did. But uh, what was sort of funny, they played a venue 
I think it was called the brewery in, in Raleigh. And there might've been a couple hundred people there. And when they go out to leave, they get into a, a limo. Um, and I just saw, thought it was kind of funny that at the Hill Auditorium, they played to about 4,500 people and they, they got into a Chevy Citation. <laughs> <laughs> and they're leaving Raleigh with 200 people and they're getting into a limo. So Those royalties. Kind of, yeah, that, yeah, that was kind of, kind of funny. But, uh, I mean, I felt like that was a good... I, I, I loved Electrofiction, too. I thought it... Uh, I thought it went toe to toe with all the grunge really well. Uh, yeah. Put it that way. I, mean, I felt like it held its more than held its own, and and um, and I really loved the guitar uh, parts of uh, you know it's. I always love when Will gets to shine. I'll put it that way. Can I ask a question? That's uh, as a as a music manager, uh, and oh, and uh, yes. you know and and uh, record label owner, I you know you are you like the management side of B- the Bunnymen. I think is an interesting story. Just yep. with Bill Drum- Bill Drummond's tenure in their early years, and I, and uh, and I think that uh, reading his bio- autobiography, t- he talks about a certain amount he amount of regret maybe that he had about making their you know everything's like his personal art project and he's very much almost like a mystical obscurantist in a lot of ways and makes and so didn't really you know it feels like you know they could have been as big as you two if he if he had not just mismanaged them with like having these like ludicrous ideas for you know almost like incantations uh you know for a record release you know like create just creating these sort of um, yeah, I just wonder if you have any, yeah, I've often thought about that. And, um, you know, I think though there was something charming about a lot of that stuff, Yeah, yeah you know, that I think was very, I think if he, if, if they would have had someone else, um, they maybe still would have, uh, would have done some oddball kind of stuff. I just think that's, (laughs) I just think that's sort of, uh, I just think, I don't know. I mean, after reading so many interviews with Mac and Will and it just seems like they pretty much chose their destiny in a lot of ways. I mean, I I do think Bill, I think Drummond, uh, I mean, and he's a genius in a lot of ways. Um, but some of those things I thought were really, really kind of cool and oh yeah as a fan of a band you know to me those those are things are that's again it's them against the world and right doing doing these oddball things and i i know that like when they when they did the thing where i guess it was the crystal crystal day and and they had you know you could go around uh liverpool and have have a if you had a meal you had to get like certain you had to do certain things for tickets or whatever or, or like some a scavenger kind of, hunt kind of yeah kind of thing and and um you know i just think that's pretty pretty classic pretty pretty great idea and and it's really just for the fans and um yeah. you know so i i guess you know 
it's it's hard to say because it seems like Will was always butting heads with record label, um, you know. And then Mac wants to be a star so much. I guess it's just one of those things where no matter what, there was going to be some sort of uh, obstacle. It was not going to be an easy road. Yeah. Uh, you know, but. Uh, but that man, is the charm, too, right? Yeah, that, that, yeah. Is, that makes it the story. Yeah. And um, but. Uh, like Ocean Rain, I mean, in some ways that album should have been so much bigger than it was. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not really sure. I would love to talk to, to like Warner. I'd love to talk to Sire and find out what kind of resistance was met with that record here in the states and why. I mean, I know it was, you know, the it it. it it performed better than the three previous records here. Um, but I just wonder like what kind of um, response they were getting or seven C's or um, like to me, that record, I mean, it, those first four records still hold up. To, I, I'm just crazy about the first four albums. Um, yeah. And, and Ocean Rain is just such a classic I mean, the Killing Moon, um, what a song. And it's probably, of all music, it's still probably my favorite song. Okay, that's going to be my some of my you know final questions, is like favorite song, favorite album. So, and yeah. would Ocean Rain be a favorite album, do you think? Or are there well, other favorites? It's, it's, I love Heaven Up Here. Um, I, it depends on what kind of mood I'm in with the first four <laughs> records. I, I like them all. I mean, uh, Porcupine is a, um, I mean, that's a very moody kind of record, but man, there's some moments on there that are just classic. Um, yeah. But um, I would say Ocean Rain, probably from top to bottom, is still the one I've played the most. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then The Killing Moon is probably my favorite song, even though I love a lot of. I mean, there's so many great, they've got so many great songs. Before we close out, um, I want to ask you if there's any, if you have any final words about the Bunnymen, their legacy, their future that you want to share with the audience. Um, well, I'm just a longtime Bunnymen fan. I champion uh, that band. I just, again, um, I think they're uh, probably my all-time favorite band. And, um, you know, I like... Um, I've liked a lot of McCulloch solo stuff, but those Bunnymen records are really special to me. My kids, you know, if I played, you know, when they, <laughs> if yeah. they hear the Bunnymen anywhere, they'll tell me, hey, you know, I heard, I heard this song. And, uh, cause they're, they're fans, they're, they're fans of, uh, the Bunnymen as well. My 16 year old really loves the, um, you know, they, they did the film for, um, 
I guess it was the Shine So Hard EP, and mm. where it's like a little 30-minute film. I guess a guy named Bill Butt did that. Um, yes. Yeah. And so my son really loves. Uh, my son's thinking about getting into film school, and he really loves that film, and oh. he loves he loves the drumming in that film. Um, so I don't know if all if you haven't someone has recently within the last couple months uh, put a version of that up on YouTube and the quality oh. is really great and it's like 34 35 minutes long or so um, but the quality wow. is fantastic have y'all seen that I no. have seen bits and pieces I think I've seen pieces of it the yeah. quality wasn't great and I haven't looked in probably a year yeah, someone this. has going been to... going on and putting up a lot of great. There's a guy that's putting up a lot of the old, older content, and uh, it, it, I mean, it looks really, really good. So, um, if anybody has not checked that out, definitely do so. Um, yes. I also just saw today that they they're re-releasing the Shine So Hard EP on vinyl uh, with it's actually camo- camouflage uh, vinyl. Oh uh, wow. Because there's a camo phase we're going to get to at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the bunny men, uh, you know, long live the bunny men. I, I, still, <laughs> I still champion them. So. And they're still out there. Yep. Uh, on the uh, rock and roll uh, treadmill, as Bill Drummond called it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Playing festivals. And, yes. Well, listen, I cannot thank you enough for. Uh, you know, agreeing to do this interview and, and reaching out to us. I and... know this has been so special. I've learned so much just from this interview alone. I have like a list of things to look up and I'm sure our listeners do too. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for, for coming on. Yes. Well, I'm just at, at the heart of all of this. I'm just a music fan. It sounds like yeah. y'all are too. So I'm glad that y'all are, um, are doing this i've always yeah. felt it's been long overdue i really hope one day someone will do a great documentary on the bunny man because i think it would be with all the twists and turns and drama and uh it would just be a fantastic um documentary for people that are not even Bunnyman fans i think it would be yeah. a look inside of here's how <laughs> in some ways here's how not to do a career but in some ways it would be, here's how to do a career. Right. Um, Because I I know one of the head uh, folks at Sony, um, his name is Rob uh, Stringer, super nice fella. Um, Let me, he's a big bunny man fan. And, and he let me know, you know, that Mac pretty much had it figured out that he can go to any pub in England and he's, He's respected and well liked, and and nobody harasses him, and he's um, sort of looked upon as someone that um, you know. There's McCulloch, the guy that wrote Killing Moon. Um, right. You know, and and uh, so maybe maybe at the end of the day, they they got it figured out. Um, yeah. You know, and totally. and uh, maybe maybe they did win. 
uh, when it came to them versus these other bands. And I always yeah. felt like they won. Hell, I just think the first four records, I'll put them up against anybody's first four. Is that Absolutely. good? So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And, um, yes. It was yeah. wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. You know, my favorite episodes of this podcast are the ones where we kind of are just taking our time, you know, and I felt like we were taking our time with Dolphus, you know, and, uh, that, and I'm I could have just stayed on the phone forever. We're all frankly. just hanging out, you know? Yeah. And, felt and, and, uh, modern technology. What a, uh, the wonders of modern technology. What a great guy too, you know? So great. So I'm, interesting. I mean, this is, you know, it's just scratching the surface too. Like, I think like, you know. This band brings people together. And it's always cool. Yeah, these people that come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Like that new guy. Just appear. It's out of the woodwork. <laughs> it's more just like a shimmering, they just kind of emerge <laughs> into. They, they like yeah, materialize out of the wood. It's like the, red, the, the Black Lodge and Twin Peaks where they just kind of like appear. There's like curtains in the woods and they just kind of like, oh, I love when they the, just like walk out. Forest turns into a curtain. All right. David Lynch fans. <laughs> know what we're talking about all right listen yeah it's the end that was great so um yep we love it what we're doing we're lucky um so just hashtag drop us a line blessed, hashtag. Ble- hashtag blessed <laughs> is that what you said that is what i said yeah that's funny so drop us a line at um what's our email echo in here podcast at gmail we love to hear from you and we do we do hear from you and it's really interesting so cool Uh, and it lets us know that this is not falling on (laughs) deaf ears Uh, and uh, so all right uh, follow our you got our Instagram all right we're we're good thank you (laughs) Dolphus Ramsier wonderful 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 Ramsier Records Uh, I'm so excited that we got to have that conversation and I know that we'll do it again sometime. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed.